filibuster is supported through patreon by listeners like you check us out at patreon.com slash filibuster we also get support from the ehrlich law office discrimination wage and litigation solutions for the district of columbia and northern virginia they handle workplace discrimination non-competition and non-solicitation litigation civil rights and a whole lot more for a free consultation go to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster Our friend Jeremiah Oshan um, from SB Nation and Sounder at Heart, many other things, um, hit us with a pretty quick, great tweet today, pointing out that in 2017, both Kurt Anolfo and Tommy Sohn are going to work as head coaches in Major Ooh, League Soccer. 2009! <laughs> this is such a weird year. For many different reasons, both it's, it's related and unrelated to soccer, yeah. But um, Tommy Sohn taking over the as interim, I think, of the New England Revolution after Jay Heaps has been fired. Um, he's been an assistant there, I think, basically since Heaps was hired. But yeah, um, I, I don't think many people expected him to to get the reins again. He, he kind of after his stint with United and then Vancouver. I feel like he's been interim before. Uh, he was he was the head coach in, at Vancouver for a short time. I think I don't remember if he was interim there or not, but he was running their their soccer operations for a time. Even yeah, um, I'm pretty sure he was was interim between one of their one of their coaches leaving. They they had him for a few games. I think take over. Okay, I I know after he left there and went to New England, he kind of burnished his reputation as a really good assistant, uh, but his time in DC and Vancouver didn't do much to shake his reputation for, or, or, or actually created his reputation as not really um, the head coach type. Maybe he's learned a lot because he was Jay Heap's top assistant in new England. So does but, this mean we're going to see uh, Diego Fagundes get pulled in the uh, 38th minute? I, I can only assume, or maybe Gershon Kofi. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, but this is, it's weird to see those two specific former DC United coaches uh, both getting head coaching jobs. I mean, we could say what it is, the two worst DC United former head coaches. Well, it depends on, on how you say worst. I mean, I where mean, you go with worst. Tommy Schoen at least has some positives. Kurt Nolfo has none. You guys missed the uh, Hudson era. <laughs> we, we're also... I, I guess we're not counting Peter Novak's post DC United exploits. Yeah, he no. didn't do that here. Uh, that we know of. <laughs> right. Oh yes, Ray Hudson is also in the conversation and probably is worse than Tommy Schoen, but I I feel like we have to admit that Kurt Anolfo is the worst. Yeah, there's there's no That's question. That's probably fair. I, I feel like Sloan always got a bum rap because people just, like, from from the day he stepped in, people just, it was like, I don't like him. And there wasn't anything you could say to that. It was like, I, okay. Did he win one trophy or two in his time? Uh, I believe it was two shields. I, which and is, I think there was an Open Cup. He might have won three trophies. Right. So, um, so he actually has a pretty good haul. I mean, granted, that was a right. team that was built on by and under Peter Novak. Um, 
And, and Tommy Stone had... And we also can't totally blame him for the fact that uh, the 352 just... It, it, that was the end of its era for in that iteration of right uh, the three five two that had one true center back uh, died and it and happened no to die while Tommy Soane was there. <laughs> yeah, uh, the the uh, almost uh, actually you know what's what's uh, going to tie it into this week's show is the fact that 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 three five two resembled what United tried to do at the end of this game against Chicago in that it was mostly yeah. about throwing attacking numbers forward and and. The other side of it was just like, oh, it'll figure itself out. Yeah, the the difference being that the 2017 version is a late game desperation move, right? And the twenty, the 2007, 2008, uh, 2009 version was just hopelessly naive. It, so it was just it was just two real trophies. It was the 2007 Supporter Shield, the 2008 Open Cup. Uh, yeah, that's that's two real trophies in three seasons. Yes, it is two. Yes, it is. Yeah. But people so. absolutely trashed him like he was just out here doing nonsense. And it was like, look, he wasn't the best, but he wasn't the worst. Right, he wasn't Kurt Anolfo or Ray Hudson. I'll go he with did. I'll go with you on Ray Hudson now. He did have some ticks that were pretty annoying, like always yes. using a sub in the first half. That was just seemed like it was there to break player and team morale, and it was it was weird. Uh, it was puzzling. It was puzzling. Not unlike this transition. Hey, hey, welcome in. This is Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. I'm Adam Taylor. They are Ben Bromley and Jason Anderson. We are all from blackandredunited.com. We write about soccer, DC United, the U.S. national teams, uh, and, you know, whatever else happens to to cross our fancy. Um, Cross our fancy. That is a terrible turn of phrase. I apologize to everyone, especially the two of you on this show with me who have to listen to my yammering. Uh, even more than the you're, listeners you're do. Yes, my bleeding. I, I will take my bleeding. Uh, tonight we are talking all DC United. We have a 3 nothing loss to the Chicago Fire to break down for you and uh, an upcoming visit from the San Jose Earthquakes. Before we get to either of those items, though, we like to talk about what beverage we happen to be imbibing, imbibing on the night. So, Jason Anderson, what are you drinking? Uh, well, it's September, which means it's time for Oktoberfest, the month, or the celebration named after the month it's not in. Um, I in assume Germany, Germany, it is in September. That's what he's saying. Yes, that's what I'm saying. That's exactly what he said, in fact. <laughs> Thank you for your support, Ben. Um, he said it's the month it's not in, but like it's in, supposed to be in October. No, it, Oktoberfest is always in September. No, I know that, but what he was saying sounded like he was trying to imply it was supposed to be in October. I mean, it's called Oktoberfest. Yes, I'm saying that if your name is called Oktoberfest, it should be in October, but I'm not saying it is. But no, it's not supposed to. I hashtag stand with Jason on this. No, uh -uh. (laughs) uh-uh. Regardless of uh, Ben's uh, folly here, um, I have a spot in Oktoberfest because it's uh, it's the right time of year for an Oktoberfest. I had um, an Oktoberfest uh, fest beer. Um, shoot, what's the name of that brewery in Munich that's everywhere? They have beer gardens all across America, and their name is escaping me because I'm terrible. German beer know. maker? Yes. Spotten? That's not Spotten. Uh, anyway, 
they I, bra. I had their fest beer uh at the tailgate two weeks ago and it was fantastic it was particularly good it was exactly the right time of year and weather for it i was very happy tonight i'm drinking a mezcal mule because i had time nice. to throw things in a glass and um that's what i wanted and it's good i like it a lot ben what are you drinking so I also went to an Oktoberfest this weekend and had uh, a number of delightful beers, a number of pumpkin beers that were actually, the pumpkin beers this year were not that good. Uh, they were underwhelming compared to previous years, uh, but the Oktoberfest beers themselves uh, were pretty good. Uh, but tonight, I'm not drinking any of those because you can't take those away from the festival. Um, I'm just drinking a Manhattan because... That's all I have right now because I was out drinking Oktoberfests and not uh, loading up my larder. I feel like it's been a while since you've had a Manhattan on the show. Yeah, it I used to be your been. weekly standard. Yeah. Hofbrau, by the way. That's who I was thinking. Hofbrau, yes. Yes. Hofbrau's uh, fest beer is particularly tasty. Uh, if you're in the Richmond, Virginia area, I highly recommend the legend Oktoberfest. Um it's 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 just very solid, a little darker than a traditional Oktoberfest, and it's very good. What was not very good, however, was this game on Saturday. Indeed. Uh, it started... Yeah, yeah it, that, that's been in my notes for at least two weeks in a row, maybe more. It started well enough for DC United, but really fell apart after a particularly unfortunate own goal from Ian Harks in the 22nd minute. Oh, Ian. Finally leading to a 3-0 loss for DC United against the Chicago Fire out there in Bridgeview, Illinois. Uh, let's let's start on the one kind of positive thing before we get to the crap that was the, the rest of this game. Uh, the opening phase of the game was, and actually the opening part of the second half, were, were pretty strong for DC United, and that's actually been kind of rare, at least in the last couple years dc united came out on the front foot and in both halves and and tried to take the game to the fire which was nice to see that they were capable of that it didn't come to anything and ultimately it it fell apart but it was nice to see them start out both aggressive and competently because that that combination is fun to watch yeah it turns out but it feels like it was like three or four weeks ago rather than the first 15 minutes of the game yeah. Those, yeah, there those was a last lot of 75 not- minutes was long. <laughs> so let's get to those last 75 minutes that didn't involve quite as nice of passing or uh chance creation. Uh I where do you guys want to start on this one? Uh, there there are a few different places. Let's start on the mental side. Um I mentioned they fell apart after the own goal. Jason, this was something I saw you point out too. Just their body language after going down a goal was they they were beaten at that point. And the the thing is, it wasn't the the goal sort of sealed that, but it it was setting in from the fifteenth minute onward. Um, I, I feel like this group just expected their good start to result in a goal, and when it didn't, um, and they had chances. I mean, that might be part of it is that they did create chances that weren't finished off. I mean, they had a chance inside of two minutes that um, Deshaun Brown just somehow wasn't able to create separation with Jonathan Campbell, who he's a lot faster than. Um, and you that, can't bring him back. 
And it it resulted in Brown just sort of swinging. I don't even want to call it a shot attempt. It was just like swinging his foot wildly at the ball, hoping that it might collide with it. Um, yeah, it was and, like he was trying to get the barest of touches to just right. nudge it into the back post instead um, of just driving through the ball. But yeah, but yeah, like having that chance and not capitalizing on it uh, may have maybe made it might have made that first 15 minutes it it gives you that sort of here we go again feeling because dc has done this before where they've had the first 15 minutes they've started well they've created at least one goal scoring chance to take the lead inside 15 minutes but they didn't capitalize and the game goes poorly from there um i feel like as soon as chicago started to solve some of how how dc was trying to press um, as soon as that came in, it was just the game got out of DC's hands, and they were never able to get a hold of it again. Um, and I mean, it just it was it was it really underlines the state, the mental state of the the whole team because it's fifty, it's you know the twentieth minute, let's say you know it's a few minutes before the own goal. It's the twentieth minute, and you've had most of the play on the road against a team that's shorthanded. Um, you shouldn't let the fact that they've maybe had the best of the last few exchanges, you shouldn't let that demoralize you, but it looked to me like it did, and the nature of that own goal was such a gut punch that the game might as well have ended immediately when that ball went in the net. Um, United never got themselves back together again, but um, what troubles me, I mean, it's one thing when you're a bad team and you give up a bad goal and you sort of crumble as a result, We've all seen that happens uh, happen, but when you're already sort of in the process of crumbling before the own goal, uh, that's that's not good. That that's a sign that we're not going to see a bunch of um, heartening displays for next year. I mean, points aside, I just want to see the team put in good performances. Um, and this was like a, a little bit of a red flag of like maybe those just aren't coming. So. We you mentioned Deshaun Brown, uh, who started this game. <sighs> Patrick Mullins came in late, had you know a, a free kick that wasn't bad. Uh, it was on frame, which isn't always the case for his shots uh, at this stage of the year. Um, but neither of them has been producing. Deshaun Brown turns pretty invisible out there a lot of the time, um, and so with defensive midfield addressed with Russell Knauss with the wing addressed with Paul Areola, uh, Zlatan Stieber, and even Bruno Miranda, who got some time in this game. What'd I say? Zlatan. Uh, You know, a guy can hope. I mean, I I would enjoy Zlatan on this team. Uh, Well, that brings me to to my, my actual point is striker has become the most glaring hole in this team Uh, because Patrick Mullins isn't the guy he he was at the end of last year. I don't think he's this guy that we've seen this year either. But uh, yeah. when he's not being kind of superhuman at RFK like he was last year, there's got to be another option. And you're right, Ben. Deshaun Brown isn't it? No, Deshaun Brown isn't it based on his performance this year. I mean, both Deshaun Brown and Patrick Mullins are better than they have been this year. I, I, I think that's unequivocal. But... They're not so much better that DC United shouldn't spend a lot of money on a forward for next season. Uh, I hope Bruno Miranda gets healthy as soon as possible so we can see what he can do going down uh, the rest of this season. But even if he lights it up 
that shouldn't prevent DC United from signing a big name, well, maybe not a big name striker, but signing a, uh, spending a good amount of money on a striker, DP or TAM money on a striker uh, going in next season. They have to do it. They can't rely on what they have uh, going forward. And their midfield is fine. Uh, I mean, Ian Harks has, was a little, was a lot a bit rusty in this game, but we know he's better than he was in this game. So he'll improve. If they want to upgrade on him, that's fine too, but they need to improve on striker. And it, it's actually a similar situation in central defense. We know uh, Steve Birnbaum. Ben, isn't ben, ben, don't get ahead of me. Don't get ahead of me. <laughs> well, you, you, you teed me up. So, okay. I'll, I teed you I'll up stop, on forward. Uh, I wanted to. Okay. I want to talk more about the forwards. I, I have another thing okay. I have to say on them before we okay. move to the defense. Uh, uh, one thing your your center forward has to do over score. and over and over again, uh, besides score goals, is make the first run. It's called the first run, the run at the near post, because it is the most important run. It sets off sets up any other runs anybody wants to make to the back post or uh, peeling off the line that that first run to the near post keeps defenses honest and also provides a great scoring opportunity. If you can finish, which if you're playing forward professionally, you should be able to finish. Um, we will not look into DC United's past rosters at this moment to, um, dis- to discuss the truthfulness of that statement. But at least right now, Deshaun Brown and, and Patrick Mullins are both too slow to recognize that first run in this game. They, they each, missed an opportunity uh, set up by teammates on that near post. Um, Lloyd Sam set up Deshaun Brown. And if he's a step faster, that's a goal. Patrick Mullins missed um, Lucho setting him up, setting up a near post run for him and was late. And the ball ended up just going to a defender instead. Um, and he made the run. It was just too late. Same as Deshaun Brown. You have to be able to recognize when that is and, or when that opportunity is there and exploit it before the defense can, fill that hole. And right now the forwards aren't doing it. And with, with the attackers in the midfield for DC United, they're, they're pretty heady players. They're all smart players and they have good recognition and we need a forward that's on that level. Yeah. And, and I think there's something to the point that they both missed uh, a near post run. Um, but it's, I think they're coming from different places as to why they missed them. Um, I think with Mullins, the, the confidence issue, um, is is kind of overwhelming everything else. And I think he's hesitant to make the run because he's not believing himself right now. Um, with Brown, I think the issue is more that that's not his game. Um, I think, and I said this when he was signed, um, his best play at this level of world soccer has been as a wide forward or as a winger in, in for 4-2-3-1, for he would be the left winger most likely. Um, that's where he's been most effective, and that's a position where you're making second runs. Um, you're making the back post run, or you, or if your forward decides to mix it up, you're coming across him, but it's still a second run that you're arriving. Uh, you're arriving to the post later than the the forward. Um, those are the runs that he's had his best success with, and that's not what he's he can't do that in this setup. He has to make uh, different runs, and I think we're I think. United's putting him in a position where he's not really getting a chance to show his best soccer because he's not playing his best position. Um, now, I don't want to, you know, it's it's not just 
a situation where like, oh, well, they should play Brown on the left and that's that because I don't think he's going to be better than Stieber. I don't think he's going to be better than Paul Ariola. So um, it's something it, – that's a look I want to see. I want to see Mullins and with, with Brown playing on the left. I want to see that before the season's over, but I'm not going to sit here and say that they should start them. Um, maybe start once just as an experiment, but, you know um, – just to see if if it if it might clear something up for Brown because, um, you know I know he's signed as a forward slash winger but I think it's much more winger slash forward with him and I think as long as he's starting up front um, we're gonna we're gonna run into a similar problem where he's not recognizing those near post runs because that's not his game um, whereas with Mullins I think it just needs. You know, he just needs some things to happen to, to break his way a little bit, and maybe he'll start uh, feeling the game a little quicker rather than having to overthink everything, which I think is part of his problem. He's he's stuck in his own head, and that extra thought takes those little split seconds, and all of a sudden, instead of making the run when you need to, you're a little off. Or, um, you know, last week against Orlando, he took that touch wide instead of, you know, put himself at an angle where he had to curl the ball where he didn't have to do that. Um, those little mistakes in the buildup end up becoming bad finishes or no finishes as the chance this weekend went. Um, and, and I think they've, they've got two different problems right now that both need addressing for them to, you know, make their best case for sticking around. Ben, you wanted to talk about the center backs. I want to talk yeah. about the center backs. There's, there's yeah. something I want to say about them, but I'm going to let you go first. Go. I'm going to let you go first. Okay. I mean, it's just, it's similar to how Patrick Mullins isn't as bad as we've seen, but he still needs competition to be brought in. We know that Steve Birnbaum isn't this bad uh, overall, but he's obviously played worse than the Jalen Robinson-Kofi Apare partnership. And so Ben Olsen needs to figure out what the best partnership is and bringing in a new center back, a high non-DP or low TAM slash DP center back is probably on the table and probably necessary. But it you, you, you can't just go into next season with this center back uh, situation and think it's fine or just throw in a... Uh, a draft pick and think it's fine. There needs to be uh, significant thought and significant uh, analysis about this position and uh, a strategy going forward into next season. Yeah, we saw both um, Steve Birnbaum and Kofi Opari with with bad giveaways in this one. Kofi Opari's led to the penalty kick that was yes. Chicago's third goal. Um, Birnbaum passed it directly to David Akam in space, which he managed to cut off the angle and defend the ensuing kind of half break pretty well, but he still made that pass and it was bad. Um, the one thing I wanted to say, I think I said it last week was no Jalen, no party. Um, this is the second game in a row with no Jalen, no wins, no Jalen, no wins. Thank you, Ben. Uh, second game in a row without Robinson in and the, the defense gave up multiple goals before that three games in a row with clean sheets. Um, we talked about correlation, not necessarily meaning causality, uh, last week, but 
that correlation still exists. And I think we do have to investigate it some more this year to know what we have going forward in next year. We haven't seen a lot of Robinson and Birnbaum together. Uh, it could be that Robinson played really well because he has so many reps with Kofi Opare in training because the two of them have spent the last, what, two or three years together um, in the second unit, essentially. So they know each other really well, the way that Birnbaum and Bobby Boswell knew each other. So I, I want to see how much of Robinson's success on the field is that pairing with Opari and how much is actually him and how much Birnbaum is, uh, I, I don't know what, what it would do, but I want to see the two of them on the field together because it's, it's a combination we haven't seen much of. Uh, and, and I'm curious. Yeah, I, I, I definitely think Robinson at this point has to get some starts because he's earned it. Um, and when a team is bad and a player isn't getting in, even when he's earning it, you're setting yourself up for some locker room difficulty that shouldn't be there. Um, because the guys, the other guys on the team notice these things too. It's not like they do their jobs without noticing what else is happening around them. Um, so they know what's up. Um, they know that this team won three games, uh, or two games with Robinson starting without conceding. Um, and now all of a sudden the team, you know, drops him and all of a sudden they can't avoid giving up goals. Um, so it, it's, it's for better for Robinson if he gets in, obviously, but it's also, um, arguably it's going to be better for the whole team if he's getting starts because the team is getting results when he's on the field. Um, but I, I will say, I will throw in that of the two, you know, if we're looking at um, pursuing one position or the other, then it's got to be a forward. Um, and you just right. hope that you can repair whatever has gone wrong with, with Birnbaum, especially, I think, um, because we know that he's playing pretty much at his floor right now. And we also know that he has a ceiling that's a lot better than than what we've seen this season. Um, and if United can get him back there, whatever it, whatever it is, you know, it could be, it could be something we have no idea about. It could be an off field issue that we don't know about. Um, he could be playing through some sort of knock that we haven't heard a thing about because this is a team that has kept things under wraps a lot of times. Um, we, we know about that. So, um, it could be any number of things or it could just be, he just isn't playing well. And, and that's sort of a, a vicious circle or a vicious cycle or both. Um, but, uh, it, it could be any number of those things and maybe the off season corrects it and he just gets away from the game for a little while and comes back and is back to normal. Um, or maybe not, but the team needs to know in the off season, they need to know whether this will fix itself with time away, or if this is something that needs to be addressed with a player improvement, um, whether it's, you know, finding a better partner for Burnbaum than exists on the roster, um, or whether it's finding a player to replace him. Um, because at this point, uh, we have at least a little sliver of a hint of something that maybe it's not just, uh, oh, you know, Burnham's out of form or whatever. Maybe he's actually not the best center back on the roster now. Um, and that has to be investigated. And we've got this few games um, to figure it out. And hopefully... United can learn something from this time. They, they, I mean, hopefully they've already got a plan that's being formulated and this just informs that a little more. Um, but yeah, the, the center back issue is it's alarming, but at the same time, I, I, I do wonder sometimes if 
if United could score some goals sometimes, the center back mistakes wouldn't be, one, they wouldn't be as glaring, and two, the center backs wouldn't have to play absolutely perfect soccer every single game to avoid a loss, which is kind of the situation they're in now, which we've been familiar with before. Um, right, and so many of the goals, you know, the first goals rarely come from United Press throwing a lot of numbers for, but there have been second and third, even right. fourth goals conceded this year against uh, United after they've pulled off a defender or thrown Steve Birnbaum onto the forward line or otherwise thrown numbers forward. It's not, it, it's not all, you know, neutral right. game States uh, when United are conceding, but whatever the situation, the center back situation, the center back uh, core hasn't been good enough this year. Yeah. And it has to improve whether yeah, one way or another. I don't think any anyone would dispute that. And um, yeah, adding competition. I mean, right now they've only got three natural center backs, so they've got to add somebody regardless, just for a proper roster construction. Um, and hopefully, it's not a young player who's like a one for the future. Um, hopefully, they add someone who is distinct competition for the job because they the play this year has been such that you have to you have to add somebody who's at least competing for the job. What about Vadim Demidov? Is he competing for a job like working at the stadium or playing on the field? Like, like taking, taking tickets probably. Uh, Well then maybe, I I mean, I guess if he wants to do that, that's, that's up to him. Um, I don't know if they have competition for spots in that role. You never know. I, that's how I would want I mean, it to be. I would want to bench. Compete. Be like, oh, this isn't going very well. He wouldn't, he, <laughs> Make a sub. Yeah, he, would, he wouldn't compete for any other role, so. Hmm. <laughs> so, I want to end this. Bad. I want to end this segment on a, a challenge to you guys. Uh-oh. Other than the Wait, opening 15 minutes. Do you want us minutes, to play center back? Because I don't think pick- that's going to work. No. Uh, not, not that big of a challenge. I don't want to set Jay- you up for Jay- failure. Jay- Jason and I would be real bad as a center back combo. Let's just be real. Short and shorter, slow and slower. Slow. <laughs> Are you slow uh, or slower? I think Ben runs. I'm not. I'm not I think short. Ne- me, so I'm probably. I'm slower. not short necessarily. Okay. Yeah, probably. I'm not. I'm not fast <laughs> by no stretch of the imagination. Am I fast? So we would be very bad at center back. Okay. So. Outside of the that opening fifteen minutes, I want you to find one good thing to to latch on to about this game. Bill Hamid. All right, Ben Ben claimed the most obvious one. Uh, Forcefully, he was real good. He was strongly. really, really effing good. Bill Hamid doing Bill Hamid things is always a good. It's always good to to see him doing that. It's not always good to see him forced to do that, but right. the fact that he can and did that, I I will accept as a good thing to latch on to. Jason, uh, I'm going to go with uh, maybe uh, if I'm not mistaken, this was the most uh, the highest passing accuracy percentage we've saw we've seen out of United all year. Um, they were at 84 percent. They had eight guys uh, above 80. They had actually Opara and Deleon were at 90. Um, Russell Canals was just just barely below at 89.8. Um, so they were keeping the ball, and, and actually, um, I know from the broadcast, or I think it was 
I don't know if they said this on the broadcast here in DC, but I know that um, folks watching on MLS Live got the Chicago feed. Um, it was reported from there um, from Paul Tenorio uh, doing the sideline reporting there that um, that Velko Panovic was not happy with their inability to keep the ball. He was he was frustrated that Chicago um, wasn't having the sharpness of possession that he would want. Um, now, obviously, they made use of the possession they had much more so than United did. Um, but for a team that is supposed to be um, direct, even even at the best of times last year, this was still a direct United team. For them to be able to connect passes at that rate is something. It's not. It obviously didn't make for a win or even a good performance. But at least it's something you can take and carry into the future. I think there was one moment where Kanaus and Opare and uh, De Leon kind of passed their way out of the press and ended up freeing. Um, Chris Aduiachim at the other end of the field. And I think it actually led to, uh, it, it might've been just before the sequence where Achim wins a yellow card mm. off of a Chicago defender. Uh, but passing out of the back, we talked about this a few weeks ago. It seemed to be a point of emphasis for, for DC United after the, uh, after the transfer deadline. And I think it's, you're starting to see them progress a little bit on that. And that's a good thing because this team couldn't pass their way through an open door uh, early in the year and seeing them be able to solve some problems with passing, even if it's still early days um, and they have a ways to go is, is a good thing. I, I yeah, also accept also, yours. There, there was on um, the other flank, there was a really nice um, one touch sequence that I, I remember Ian Harks was involved um, and I think it got the ball to Lloyd Sam. This was during the, the good 15 minutes, but it, it turned into another was this Ian Harks back? This was heel? one of his back heels. He tried like seven of them. Um, Harks, by the way, Harks had, at least had, by the way, had seventy nine passes in this game. Um, so he was extraordinarily heavily involved. But uh, yeah, this was the the Harks back heel was involved in that attack. But it was another um, another piece of uh, high end soccer. I think um, Rick, one of our writers, said that it was, in his opinion, the best piece of attacking soccer he'd seen from the team all season. Um, so yeah, there there were moments where you see maybe some progress towards something, towards an end goal, um, where when you acquire guys like Ariola and Stieber, you can start to actually play that kind of soccer because before we didn't really have the players to do that. Um, so maybe it's that little nugget is something, but you got to do more than one here and one there uh, to to succeed. Right. You, so you got to build even in even in your attempt moments. to find a positive. I still ended up bumming myself out. Well, <laughs> all right. So I, I put you guys on the spot. I will say um, watching Chris Aduiachim, who had a reputation in college as a lockdown defender and not that good going forward, watching him torch the, the left side of Chicago's defense um, for a cross here, a yellow card there. Um, just just giving them fits uh at least for that that opening part uh that was really good to see granted he had some issues on the other end of the field but i think given his history he'll he'll get the defensive side right and watching him grow on the offensive side is a good thing cuz i think he might be in line for for more minutes if not the rest of this season then into next season i would like to see more of him this year as well um I want to see if he can build on those attacking forays because his speed is really, really dangerous. 
and we we saw him we saw David Akam pull up from a run because uh Adui Acham could could keep up with him and he didn't have you know the one thing I mean David Akam does a bunch of things really well but his one really killer attribute is his speed and Adui Acham neutralized it and seeing seeing more of him is something I want and so the fact that he started this game is a good thing and seeing him grow on the attacking side is a good thing as well and there's no point to have Sean Franklin or Chris Korb start. We learn nothing from any of that. So it should be Chris Duyachum starting on that flank. And, you know, with our, our grasping at straws here, I think we will end this first segment and we'll be back in just a minute to talk about DC United's upcoming visit from the San Jose earthquake. So stick around. It's filibuster. Hey, Ben, um, you wouldn't say this is a hostile work environment, would you? You can tell uh, me. Depends. I mean, well, I should ask you. I mean, is are goats hostile? Uh, I think goats are, are hostile. I think that they are secretly trying to take over the world. But but if this were a hostile work environment, or if I were trying to steal your wages or or do something else oh, nefarious... Oh, you are. In a, I'm really not. Uh, but in a workplace environment, you know who to call, right? Because you live in the District of Columbia or Northern Virginia. I do. It's the Ehrlich Law Office. It is the Ehrlich Law Office. Uh, they, they offer discrimination, wage, and litigation solutions in Northern Virginia and the District of Columbia, which means I can totally create a hostile work environment for Jason. Except, no, he, they, they wouldn't want me to say that. That would be bad. I do not want to create a hostile work environment for anyone. But Jason couldn't call them nonetheless because he lives in Maryland. Sorry, Jason. I'll fight my way through this. All right. <laughs> Uh, they handle workplace discrimination, wage theft, uh, non-compete clauses, and uh, non-solicitation litigation. They handle civil rights and government takings and disability and education law. They handle a lot of things. And if you are interested in a free consultation, head to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster. Welcome back to Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. The San Jose Earthquakes currently sit fifth place in the West, one point above. Goonies. One point above the the fabled red line dividing the playoff teams from the not playoff teams. And I just want to point out, I'm going to go on an aside, 19 seconds into uh, the the segment. The red line on MLSsoccer.com's standings page right now is black. It's not a red line anymore. And I don't understand why they did that. They're the ones that started the whole red line um, term, the whole verbiage. And and now they don't even have the red line anymore on their website. And it, it bothers me. I mean, if you go back to... Uh, they need to get off you, my lawn. If you go back to Battlestar Galactica, when they jump in the miniseries, they jump way beyond the red line. So that can well, also be a part of it. Red line is a term in many other contexts. However, it was MLSsoccer.com putting a red line to divide the playoffs, the playoff teams from the, the teams outside of the playoff positions. And, and then their writers and podcasters started using the term in the MLS context. Yes. And then everyone else picked it up because it was very easy to understand and yes, they're, very concise. They're, and now yes, they are wrong and bad. And now they've taken the red line off the website. And yes. this bothers me. Anyway, yes, they're bad. They're wrong. 
What if what if it becomes red once the playoffs are official? It shouldn't. No, because the whole above the red line, below the red line is used in the present tense during the season. I'm just saying it could become a future red line. It could, but in the past, the, the their website had it red for the duration, at least for the second half of the year, or for the, the run-in. And we're very well into the run-in at this point. So I'm, I'm disappointed. I'm not mad. I'm disappointed. And now we're two minutes into this rant that started 19 seconds into the segment. So I'll, I'll get back to the actual segment. Uh, the Quakes have been feast or famine in recent weeks. They've scored a lot of goals and allowed a lot of goals, but never at the same time. They've only had one uh, game or two league games where both teams scored since late mid to late July. Um, so this is a, an interesting team to, if you just look at their, their results, it's a little bit whiplash inducing, and they are going to be visiting RFK stadium in DC United this weekend, Saturday night, September 23rd, 7 PM RFK news channel eight. If you can't get to the stadium, if you're outside of the immediate DC area, check your local listings. Uh, so this team, besides their interesting form, there's there's one thing I think everyone should know about them and probably already does, and that's that this this team runs through Chris Wondolowski. Uh, he's got 11 goals this year. No one else on the Quakes has more than four. He's also their, their leading assist man. He takes more shots than anyone on the team. Maybe more shots than the rest of the team put together. I'm not sure about that. Um, he's also one goal right now behind Jaime Moreno on the all-time MLS goal-scoring charts. He's got 132. Moreno retired with 133. I really don't want him to tie Jaime in our stadium, Jason. Um, what is going? How, how is Wando doing this? He's kind of become ageless and always scoring double-digit goals after kind of years and years in the wilderness. Uh, it's... There's not really too much to it. It's not like he has um, any particularly special skill set other than he's able to find space and he knows where the ball is going to be in the box. Um, and that's pretty much it. It's, it's just classic goal poaching. Even when um, – and and right now he plays underneath. He's not leading the line. Um, in the past when Dominic Kinnear was there, there were even times where he played as a midfielder rather than as a forward. Um, and yet he still – is willing to enable, I, I guess fitness is actually part of it because, um, even playing underneath like that, he's still able to make those extra sprints to get into those positions to be, uh, in a spot where he can score goals. And he's just, uh, at the MLS level, at least he's shown that he, his understanding of, of space and his understanding of, uh, how plays are going to develop is just high enough where he's always in a spot where he can score. And he's just, uh, you know, it's 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 a pretty impressive uh, a pretty impressive thing because he doesn't have um, the sort of the skills and creativity that the the other players in that world in that level of MLS goal scoring have. Um, even Jeff Cunningham had speed. Uh, mm-hmm. Wando's never really even been that fast. Um, yeah, I think he about- he actually Go explained ahead. it once. Wondolowski did by saying he's he's a Jedi master and he performs a mind trick on defenders and they forget about him for just long enough that he pops up and scores. And that if you watch 
tape of him playing. That's exactly what happens. Yeah. He waits until right. looks away and then he just pops up in exactly the right spot. It's, it's really incredible and impressive in a way. And I know everyone thinks about the, his miss against Belgium in the World Cup, but. Especially he, if you don't watch MLS, then yeah. you're preoccupied with that. Or but, don't watch a lot of, I mean, you don't get the opportunity to watch a lot of San Jose earthquakes if you're on the East Coast. They're not on national TV, TV that much, which is a shame because their stadium's a gem uh, to watch on TV. Uh, and, and from what I hear, it's a, it's a gem to uh, visit as well. But he's, you know, if you don't see a lot of them, you're right, then you're not going to appreciate the nuances of, of Wondolowski's right. game. And, you know, it's interesting that the, the art involved there, a lot of that is um, you just you, you let the, the defender think that he's marking you. You get close enough where he's like, OK, I've got this guy. And right when you've been there long enough, that's when you take a couple steps away and, and you sort of drift out of his field of vision. And he's still going to think, oh, he's like an inch from me. I'm, I can almost grab his shirt if I need to. Um, but he's actually now like a yard away from you. And that's how you lose him. Um and it's not complicated. It sounds pretty easy, but if you're if you get good at that skill, you're always going to be able to you're always going to be able to get chances. You have to be able to finish as well. That's a different thing. Um, but you'll always be able to get loose for chances if you get good at tricking people into thinking that you're about a yard from where you actually are. Yeah, like I said, Wondolowski, I I think has been a great story over the years in MLS, and he's got to be getting close to uh, retirement age as. Even though he keeps going and going and going, eventually he will retire and eventually he will pass Jaime Moreno, if not Jeff Cunningham and, and whoever else is potentially ahead of him. I don't think he'll catch Landon, Landon, but who knows? He might. Uh, I really don't want him to catch Jaime this weekend. Um, and I, I don't have analysis on how to stop. Wondolowski because over the years no one's really been able to stop him he he pops up and he scores goals and every time you think he's gonna stop he doesn't just just uh get some pump frites in the uh stadium yeah maybe have uh Hamid eat some Belgian food beforehand yeah you know there are plenty the, of uh, Belgian restaurants around now there are We're some of them plenty, are quite good are you know uh, uh we won't buzz market them no. here on the show if we, we've already done it if you're a belgian restaurant and you would like us to talk about it and sing your praises please send us money or pomfrites actually i would accept pomfrites it's i would tricky for you to get them to all three of us um money well, all they have to do is send them to me is, and i'll talk about them they don't have to send them to the rest of you belgian restaurant not ours <laughs> you figure out how to to trick us we're, we're i mean it's obvious that we'll we'll do it if you figure it out but it's going to take some effort on your part I edit this podcast. If only Adam gets palm frites and he tries to talk about them, you're not going to hear about it. <laughs> it will get edited out. So, <laughs> like, like I, I don't do much editing, but I will definitely spitefully edit, edit out palm frites talk if I don't get any. I'll also accept Flemish red sours because those are good beers that that probably don't get talked out, no. talked about enough. I mean, yes, but no, not if you don't give them to me. So the the Quakes fired their head coach, Dom Kinnear, earlier in the year, elevating Chris Leach to the position. I don't think it was even on an interim basis. I think he was just given the job outright. 
Uh, he had been an assistant for them. Jason, this led to some changes for the Quakes. Uh, yeah, to say the least. Um, after years of the reputation of the Quakes was that they were going to play mostly 4-4-2. Dominic Kinnear had more formation flexibility than people wanted to give him credit for, but mostly 4-4-2, mostly direct, a lot of long balls through the air, a lot of physicality up front, um, a lot of emphasis on physical strength and winning battles, and not a lot of emphasis on the soccer side of the game. Um, the change under Chris Leach was pretty much night and day. His first lineup, uh, one, was a 3-5-2 um, straight away, but it also didn't really feature a true dedicated defensive midfielder. Um, there were people given that role, but there was no one that you think of as like, oh, that guy's a defensive midfielder. Um you had Jackson Ewell, uh, who couldn't get a game under Kinnear, and is really more of a tempo setter. Um, he was at the base of that midfield trio. He was playing, if you watch TFC, he was playing the Michael Bradley role, but he's not nearly as um, defensively capable as Bradley. And the idea was they just wanted to keep the ball um, and win games with the ball on the ground. Um it didn't necessarily work immediately. It worked for the first couple of weeks because people were just like, wait, the San Jose Earthquakes are trying to keep the ball. What is happening? Um, it didn't really work once people figured that side of it out. Um, but uh, it's the the emphasis. I mean, they've gotten they were a three, five, two exclusively for a little while. Now, the last two weeks, they've gone back to a four, four, two. But the the. The idea behind it isn't changing. They still want to keep the ball. They still want to be a team that. Uh, plays out of the back that tries to build possession that wants to connect a bunch of passes. They don't just want to go over the top for some big guy and Wando runs onto the knockdown and shoots. Um, they don't want to do that anymore. Um, and I think that was part of the reason that that um, Kinnear was let go was that they in the off season they made a bunch of moves to try and uh, to add some some skill on the ball to their lineup. They they got uh, Hika, they signed Danny Hooson, um, and Florian Jungwirth, um, who's played a bunch of different positions defensively, but they signed a bunch of guys that were capable of playing that style, and Kinnear was like, that's great, but I'm still going to incorporate them into what I do, which is 4-4-2, long balls to a big guy, etc. Um, Basically, they hired Dom Kinnears to keep the Goonies going, and the front office wanted to kill the goonies yeah they want they, they, they decided they, they hired a coach and then had a player personnel strategy that that were kind of at loggerheads a little bit and and i think that they felt like kinnear might come around um to changing things but he just wasn't comfortable with getting there and it just didn't happen in time um, their record isn't actually really any better um it, it's a little better i think but it's not I haven't counted the points since uh, Leach took over, but it's not. I mean, just looking at their form guide, it doesn't look. Um, there aren't too many more green squares under Kinnear than there there are under Leach. It's pretty much the same. Um, but there was something to be said for there. The Quakes made a change in part because of style of play and and aesthetics rather than um, pure how where where are we in the standings? They, that wasn't the only thing they were thinking about when they made their change. Um, which is a real shock given how long the Quakes were the Quakes, the way that they played. Um, so that that part of it is, is pretty fascinating, that they've become much more of a retain-the-ball 
um, knock it around. The center backs are allowed to pass uh, to nearby players rather than just looking for the forwards. Um, the central midfielders are not looking to immediately move the ball up the field. They're looking to connect with each other, with the wide midfielders. Um, this is a team that might connect 10, 15 passes in a row during an attack. rather than Whereas before, if the Quakes connected 15 passes, you would think that something was wrong. Like, did, did they forget what they were about? Um, are they up by five goals? Right. Um, and, and, you know, guys like Tommy Thompson is he's starting to become more of an important part in uh, in San Jose, which um, any any big fan of uh, the youth development world was basically pulling their hair out when Thompson was dealing with Kinnear's way of playing. Um, Yule is another guy that that was great in college soccer and just couldn't get a game because he was not going to play that direct kind of soccer. Um, so from a fundamental standpoint, they've changed who they are as a team. Even if the formation, you know, these last two weeks playing four four two, it makes me it kind of throws a wrench into what I thought we were going to be getting into in this game. Um, but yeah, it, they aren't necessarily better, but they're definitely more pleasing on the eye and less of a like, oh, we got to play the Quakes. This game is going to be irritating. Um, it's a little less of that. So, you know, if, if uh, th- there's a chance that this game might be, but despite being between two, two teams, the reputations of being uh, less than uh, scintillating to watch, it might actually be uh, good from a soccer perspective because of the way that, you know, as we touched on the first, this first segment, some of the changes that might be coming in with United and the Quakes are now well into changing things. I don't know how long they're going to wait to see if it's going to work, um, but certainly Leach isn't about to get fired this week. We're not going to see that happen. So we talked about some of the changes to the Quakes. Um, on the personnel side, I was looking at their lineup for for last week, and I, I recognized maybe as many names on their bench as I did in their actual starting 11. And, you know, some of this is that I don't watch the Quakes every week. So there, there are some players that they've brought in that, that I'm not super familiar with. But names like Victor Bernardes, who's been uh, a mainstay for them, has a Honduran international, um, really important center back for them over the year, over the last few years. Quincy Ameriqua made his name in Colorado, uh, came into the Quakes, was on the bench. Simon Dawkins, who I don't... Is he still a DP at this I point? I believe so. Uh, he was on their bench. He's mostly been on their bench this year, but it's right. still a recognizable name. Tommy Thompson even was on the bench against Houston last week. Um, what can we draw from from those names being on the bench? And I guess uh, are are any of them on their way out? Um, what I mean, one thing that influences last week when they beat uh, Houston versus the week before when they got absolutely obliterated by Toronto FC um, is the fact that they got obliterated by Toronto FC uh, to the tune of 4 nothing. So I think maybe some of those changes were just down to, all right, we got killed last week, we have to do something else. Um, but it, it has been interesting. A guy like um, Andres Imperiale was actually there last year, but Kinnear signed him from Saprissa and then just was pretty much like, well, I can't trust this guy. Um but when they changed to a back three, he became a starter immediately, um, which is actually the role he was playing when he played for Saprissa. He was in the middle of a back three, and that's the role he's played when they've played that 3-5-2. Um, Francois um, Affolter, who's, a, I believe, a Swiss international, he's not just a Swiss guy, he's played for their national team, 
He is a TAM signing they just made recently. Um, they actually, they must have been sitting on more TAM than a lot of people thought because uh, Florian Jungwirth, I believe, was a TAM signing. Uh, Danny Hoosen was definitely a TAM signing. Um, um, Vako, uh, who's, he's a Georgian international. His real name is Valeri Kazaishvili, which I probably butchered. Um, but he just goes by Vako, which is a lot easier. Um, Vako, I believe is, Vako's a DP, but, um, Jameer Hika is another TAM player, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so they went and signed a lot of players from abroad, uh, who are at that TAM level. So they've, they've invested in mostly attacking players, you know, awful terror aside, um, but yeah, the, the the guys that you mentioned, the the more familiar names like Bernardes, Leach seems to have some faith in Bernardes. He definitely was was giving him starts um, in the three five two. The formation change didn't immediately rule Bernardes out, um, but he is definitely going to have some adjusting to do to playing a style of play that Leach wants to play. Uh, Bernardes is definitely more of a uh, old school center back. He's very blood and guts and and uh, play it long, and and his game is designed around power and physical strength, and it's not necessarily um, the sort of patience he would need. Um, but they've still given him plenty of starts. Uh, he's not been forgotten by any means. Um, it, it's been fascinating because I th- I feel like Leach, even though they've stayed in there right now, they're in a playoff spot. Um, but there's still been an air of trying to figure out who goes where in a lot of spots. Um, Wando and Marco Urania are going to be the starting forwards. That one's easy. Um, but from there, it, it's, it's been tricky. You know, Jackson Ewell against TFC actually played out on the left, which was very strange because he's been basically at the base of the midfield. Uh, but they instead, in that game, they started Anibal Godoy, who starts for Panama. Um, Darwin Saren, who a lot of DC United fans are really big fans of. They started those two as the defensive midfielders and Ewell was out on the left side. Um, in a four four two. So I think there's been a sort of a feeling out, even though they've managed to go through that discovery period without just falling off a cliff. Um, I will say though, speaking of falling off a cliff, when the wheels come off for the quakes, it's it's bad. Um, in the their last six losses, they've given up three or more goals in all six of those games. Um. And in the most recent ones, they haven't scored. Right, they've lost four nothing a, a couple times in a row. They lost three nothing at Houston. All of these losses, by the way, are on the road. Um, three nothing at Seattle. Five one against the Red Bulls. Four two in Atlanta. Um, they do have one road win, but it's against the uh, horribly troubled LA Galaxy. Um, they beat them, th- and they won that. They one beat them three nothing. Um, but yeah, their other road games especially against Eastern Conference teams, uh, there's a few of them in there, um, have gone really badly. They have not been able to keep goals off the board. Um, when you take a look at the standings, they're they're not the worst at, at uh, goals against, but they're down there. Um, they've given up one fewer goal than DC United, even though they are in a playoff spot. So um, this is definitely a vulnerable team, even though they're trying to keep the ball and play that uh, more attractive style of soccer, the side of it that hasn't worked yet, that they're scoring goals fairly, you know, they're not a high-scoring team, but they're not bad at it. Um, but the other side of that, defending while playing quote-unquote good soccer, uh, has not worked for them yet, especially on the road. And uh, 
that's I guess that's the thing that United fans should hope for is that this is the kind of team that is vulnerable where let's say United has another good 15 minute start they can actually capitalize because if they start well against a defense that gives away goals like that they will probably get more than one or two good chances they'll probably get a bunch of chances and eventually you've got to think that one of them is going to go in even if it's not a forward maybe it's a midfielder whatever um and then you don't have to worry so much about the fragility creeping in yeah you'd think that um the, there have been other bad road teams that came into RFK this year and yeah. and got a result. Orlando City a, comes to mind. Bunch. Yeah, uh, there United hasn't been good at um, sweeping the leg to to bring back a, a phrase you used to use a lot, Jason. Right. Uh, I I will say I think when it works for San Jose, it really works. I mentioned their swings in form uh, from game to game right. in in my intro to this segment, and it, it it's. It really is feast or famine, all or nothing for them. They they they're going to win by multiple goals or lose by multiple goals. And this one nothing win against Houston, non notwithstanding, they that that seems to be their mo for the last two months, uh, where they're just either scoring and not conceding or exactly the opposite. And it, it it's on Ben Olsen to figure out how to make sure that United are the team that are scoring because it's it's entirely. Po- possible and plausible and if not likely that one team will hang a zero in this game (laughs) it's also possible it could be four to five at the end of it um so so make sure you come out the stadium and tune in because it'll be a fun one so after they they hold that possession how will chris and the wandalowskis no i don't like that one uh wando and the wandettes no um Help me out, guys. We need a band name for this because it, 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 come on. Chris Wondolowski and his band, how will they try to, how, how do they transition into attack under this new look? Uh, it's much more on the ground, much more of a focus on, uh, connecting with those central midfielders, um, playing short passes, being willing to play into traffic, um, but they're still looking, I think, in transition. They're still looking to play Urania in behind. Um, he adds, we saw when Costa Rica played the U.S. that he is capable of turning that kind of play into some really dangerous uh, goal-scoring opportunities. Um, unfortunately for the... He also has a... Yeah, unfortunately for the U.S., he, um, he broke his habit of missing right. those really dangerous chances. He brought his A game in that one. So we kind of get a sense of his uh, ceiling as a player. Um, but the Quakes are letting him play... a. It's a broadly similar role. It's not at all the similar formation, but um, he's still going to lead the line. He's still physical um, and abrasive, but he's looking to, to run the channels. He's looking to stretch the team. And, and and if it's not to give himself a chance, it's to create a little bit of vertical space. And if he can't find someone, he'll find Wando, and Wando will find one of the other players, and they'll, they'll try and break you down uh, with possession. Um, but that said, they haven't completely abandoned who they were, they're still perfectly willing to pump crosses into the box. Um, whether that's the fullbacks, whether that's the nominally wide midfielders, uh, whether even that's uh, Wando or Reina drifting wide, um, this is still a team that's, it's sort of like a Columbus approach in that they'll still bombard you with crosses, even though they're trying to keep the ball on the ground for the most part and possess. Um, they are, I think they're still trying to figure out whether they want to be a team that spreads you out or if they want to be, you know, playing in a phone booth, so to speak, where they're just going to keep passing and passing and 
uh, in tight quarters until they find, you know, that little seam that opens up when you draw, as United found out, when you draw too many players into one side of the field, you give up a, um, a big gap somewhere else. Um, that wasn't a little scene no, against Chicago. Like that was half the yeah. field for Brandon Vincent. Um, but yeah, uh, you know, they're, they're still trying to sort that out. I think that's part of their uh, their process right now is that, that maybe that's part of the reason why they're cycling through so many players is that maybe some games they feel like, oh, we'll open the team up and we'll play touchline and touchline. In other games, they say, let's get real narrow and... Um, for you know, try and play through the middle and force them to try and play through the middle on us and see who can be better at that. Um, so it's it's been sort of fascinating to watch them from afar because I think normally you don't see a team stay afloat when they're experimenting this much. Um, but they've managed to keep... I mean, granted, like I said, when they play poorly, they get destroyed. They don't play poorly and scrape out a 0-0 draw. This is a team that when they play bad, they get annihilated. Um but uh, when they play well, they're they're a dangerous team. Um, they're in the playoffs for a reason. I mean, yes, they're in the West, which uh, it means that you can get into the playoffs as a not good team in the West this year. Um, but they're still. I mean, they're ahead of Houston, uh, who has been pretty decent. They're ahead of Dallas, who was doing very well until they fell off a cliff uh, in the last six weeks. Um, so they're 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 to be respected. This is not an easy game, even though their road record points to it can become an easy game, but you have to earn it. Um, so I, I'm, I'm fascinated to see how Olsen approaches it because I'm, I'm not sure that San Jose, the way that, I mean, the fundamental thing of what they're trying to do is consistent, but the, the, how you get to doing that is, has been sort of all over the place. Yeah. I want to apologize. I get, I give the quakes a hard time for, basically all their goal scoring going through Chris Rondolowski, but one is greater than zero, which is the number of good goal scores DC United yeah, has. It would right be now. awfully nice to have Wando taking some of the shots that United yes. has set their forwards with, because I, I feel like, I mean, it's not maybe DC's not in the playoffs uh, with that, but they're, you know, where Montreal is maybe. There's still like, well, there's a semblance of hope if maybe everything goes perfectly. Whereas uh, technically United is alive only by the narrowest of margins. The right. vagaries of math. Right. The thing is, if you, if you, if you have Chris Wondolowski being Chris Wondolowski right now, he's got to be in the team. And it's, I think maybe a little harder to move on from who the quakes were, which is not that different from who DC United were. Um, it's harder to hit the reset button when you so, have him. It's, he's great to have, but he also provides a certain, um, kind of institutional inertia, which isn't good or bad. It's just something that the, the Quakes have to deal with, and they seem to be doing so, because, like you said, they're in the playoffs. United, obviously, are not. Should we start a Sean Franklin and Chris Wondolowski team? Just a team of guys in their, their early to mid-30s? Yeah. That'd I mean, probably be pretty good, actually. We can do that for a bonus episode, maybe, but... okay. I don't think we should hash that out now. No, that's not. Yeah, no, I, no. Okay, I do have one question: Is the coach is the coach of the team of guys that are old for MLS? Should it be the oldest MLS coach, or should it be somebody who's that age who's like just one of the guys? I think it should be someone that age. Okay. So it's going to be Ben Olsen. 
right. Actually, I think Leech. All right, a or, team. Or, or newly unemployed Jay Heaps. Ugh. No, thank you. <laughs> right. <laughs> so last last thing before we, we get out of here for the night. How will Ben Olsen, or how should Ben Olsen game plan for the Quakes? What is what is United going to have to do to prevent Wondolowski and the other guys wearing Quakes uniforms from scoring? Uh, I mean, the, the defense needs to be pretty well drilled on um, staying alert to their marks because San Jose really does thrive on when, when you lose Wando, obviously we know what happens, but when you lose Urania, he finds those channels and he's off. Um, and he's not, you know, he's not going to outrun Chris Odoyachim. Um, but still, if you give a forward a gap, um, you've got a problem if he's running onto the ball, even if he's not necessarily escaping everybody, you've still got something to deal with. Um, I think Olsen needs to make sure that, uh, whether it's a three, five, two or four, four, two, um, Yule in the midfield needs to be neutralized. He has to be forced to play a lot of backward passes. Um, I wouldn't necessarily sell out on pressing him. I would just focus on containment. Um, and let make them have to build out of the back through somebody else. Um, and the same goes with uh, Jungwirth. If he plays as a midfielder, he can. Jungwirth can play a lot of different positions. Uh, he's he's kind of a Bundesliga experienced, taller Nick Dalion kind of guy. Um, so he's played defensive midfield. He's played center back. He's played right and left back this season for them. Um, but if he's in the midfield, you've got to force him to. He's going to try and just keep the ball and set a rhythm and he's not necessarily going to make a bunch of defense splitting passes, but he's definitely going to try and keep things moving. Um, but if you force those two into backwards passes, you've automatically slowed their attack down quite a bit and you're making them play the, the old quake soccer, which they don't want to play. Um, so that, that's kind of a key is, and even if it's not those two, even if it's Saren and, um, Godoy coming back in, the game is the same. Um, Outside of that, you've got to watch uh, Vaco off the ball. He's another uh, pretty tricky guy. He's sort of an attacking midfielder, sort of a forward. Um, I think his ideal spot might actually be where Wando is playing. I think maybe that's the idea is that he's eventually going to take Wando's spot once Wando can't start games. Um, but if he's playing, if he's playing in this game, if he plays in the start, he'll be on one of the wings. Um, forcing him to do more of the creative work rather than just running off the ball and being that other uh, threat to score. I think he's a little less of a threat when he's having to be a creator. I don't think that's necessarily his game. Um, and, and being hard to break down, uh, the the lineup that the Quakes put on the field against Houston doesn't... It, there's not a lot of creativity in that lineup. It's a lot of guys who are good off the ball. They're They're good in terms of movement but they're not necessarily going to break a defense down with, with one pass or, or um, some some dribbling out of a tight space. There's, there's not a lot of uh, Stieber or Acosta in that lineup, uh, so to speak. Um, so being, being organized and being uh, more coherent as a group, not just the back four, but the whole team needs to be uh, mindful of their, their marks and, and taking care of the space between the lines, because if they do that and they keep the quakes from connecting with those attacking players in the way that they'd like to. I think all of a sudden this is a manageable team because we know they can't, they're not very good at keeping goals off the board. Um, and if you take away their possession game, if you make that frustrating, I think the whole thing sort of falls apart on them. And I think that's it for this week before yep. we fall apart any more ah. than we already have on this I show. Feel great. <laughs>
<laughs> uh, I'm, I spent yesterday driving across the state of Colorado and then flying into DCA very late, and I'm, I'm sore. I'm tired. I'm falling apart, physically, yeah. mentally, and otherwise. I have no reason to be falling apart, but I am also doing so. So, two, two-thirds of this podcast are falling apart. But and the old man is fine. It's all that good, clean living. Yeah. Right, Jason? As I drink my second <laughs> beer of the night. Thank you all for joining us on this little misadventure. Find us at blackandredunited.com. If you feel like supporting the podcast financially, check us out at patreon.com slash filibuster. Find us on Twitter at filibusterdcu for the podcast at blackandredu for the website. Send your emails to filibusterpodcast at gmail.com. As always, we accept love letters. We love hate mail. And we really love advertising inquiries. Find us on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, uh, Google Play, the Internet Archive, and wherever quality or non-quality podcasts are served. Mostly, though, please tell a friend about the show. That's how to get the word out and how to grow our listeners and, and grow our little community. And we love each and every one of you, even if you've never listened to our show. But you will. You all will. That was more ominous than I meant it to be. I apologize. For Jason and Ben, I'm Adam, and we'll talk to you real soon. Say goodbye, Jason. Adam just creeped me out. (laughs) Super creepy. Like I said...